Well, praise God for him being at work in Aiden's life. We're so excited to see how God uh, continues to use Aiden, and we're so thankful for uh, just what Jesus has shown him and what he is doing. And uh, we're just so thankful for our students and how God is working in our student ministry and how God is using uh, Alec and Ashley and all of our leaders. And we just praise Jesus for his faithfulness to us in that. Uh, Speaking of celebrations, I want to invite you back this evening as we celebrate the independence we have in this country uh, with our uh, 4th of July community celebration. So we'll be eating some food and there'll be a lot of different uh, activities activities going on. We'll have a short program, and then because we're Americans, we'll watch things blow up in the sky. So uh, we would love to have you with us here, and uh, if you're already serving, I just want to say thank you so much for taking part of that. Uh, perhaps you're not serving tonight, but you want to help out in some way immediately following the 11 o'clock service. Uh, we'll be uh, fed some lunch, and uh, some of us will be doing some more setups. You're welcome to hang out with me and do that. Um, Tonight, we are going to celebrate the freedom that God has given us in this country, and we are going to honor our military who God has used to give us this freedom. But right now, I I just want to pray for our country. So if you would join me in praying. God, a, a nation is simply, in your eyes, a group of people who have come together for some purposes of humanity. You see us not as whatever we label ourselves as a country, but you see us as as people made in the image of God. And Lord, as we think about what you've done in the almost 250 years of the existence of this nation, we certainly are thankful for the freedom that many have had. We're certainly thankful for the good that has come. We're certainly thankful for the opportunities that people have had. God, we're also aware that in that time there have been those that have suffered in this nation. We're aware that there are those in our country now who suffer. And Lord, as we think about the future, we can't help but think about the present, the tension that exists, the arguments that are loud, And so, Lord, I just pray for humility. I pray for wisdom. And I pray that each of us, as citizens of this nation, would take responsibility for the life that you give us and seek to live what you prayed, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, even in this moment, may that be our desire that your will would be done as we open your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm thankful for the freedom that we have in America, and I realize that freedom is not free. It was paid for by the blood and the pain the heartache of many families. I can remember being young and getting together with my family and our friends to eat. And in our crew, the adults always had quite a few frosty beverages. And then mostly the moms would take us to watch fireworks. 
I remember hearing the national anthem and God bless the USA and being thankful to live in America. I can remember the Sunday after September 11th, 2001, heading to church and it being full of people while we prayed and, and sang. And as we celebrate today, I still feel a lot of those feelings. Yet as I've gotten older, and especially in the last several years, I've heard from an increasingly growing sum that they don't share those same feelings completely or at all. Some things that they talk about are objective and some things they talk about are subjective. I've learned that some of the things about Columbus I wasn't taught about when I was a kid. I've been exposed to the reality that many people pledging did not really mean under God or liberty and justice for all. I've even learned that all men are created equal came with asterisks for many of our founders. And I've noticed that many people don't think of America as a great nation, but they think of it as a nation of people better than the rest of the world. Today, we seem to be in a battle related to this tension. It's a battle largely between those who could be labeled as woke, granted, I don't think many of them would label themselves that way, and those who would be labeled as nationalists, granted, I don't think they would all call themselves that. And the rest of the country, probably most of us, that doesn't really know what woke means or nationalism means, realize that we're a flawed country, but also that we have been blessed and we're constantly finding ourselves caught in the crosshairs of this battle that is raging. And based on our backgrounds and based on our experiences, we often feel provoked by one of the other sides or both sides. We could debate the nuances of this for weeks and this kind of tension exists in just about everything. This kind of tension exists in any prominent figure whose life you look at who did good. As you begin to press in and get more details, you will find some things that maybe weren't what were typically talked about or reported. Any church that seems to be great, if you dig into the details of the church, you'll find issues that may be unsettling or at least not as positive as what you typically think. Your upbringing, if you analyze your upbringing, you might find things that weren't as positive as you remember, or maybe you'll find that it wasn't as bad as you remember. Everything is analyzed. Whether or not to free Britney Spears is analyzed. And here's what I want you to understand. As a Christian, you should think through these things. When we think about teaching the next generation, it's important that we are speaking, the, the conversation, speaking to the conversations that their generation is having. And as we dialogue with people who perhaps are not of the same faith or are immature in the faith, we certainly want to be able to point to what God's word says about these things. But if you figure out where you land, and even if you have it 100% figured out for the rest of us, that will not get you into heaven. And if you're more passionate about defending the American experience or deconstruction of that experience than living for Christ and his kingdom, then maybe you aren't living for Christ. 
If you are living for Christ, then Christian is your primary identity. Christian is our primary identity. If you'd find your place in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, we're going to read five verses. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35 this morning. As we find our place in Mark, uh, I just want to say to you, if you're visiting with us today, uh, that we are so grateful to have you with us. Maybe you're watching online uh, for the first time. We're so grateful to have you with us, and we would love to know who you are. I would encourage you to text the word CONNECT to the number that is on the screen, and one of us will follow up with you this week. We'd be happy to answer any questions you might have, and we'd love to help you learn how you can get involved in the life of our church. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. I want to read a verse from Luke and a verse from Matthew that I think adds some insight to what Mark is writing about from their accounts. In Luke chapter 8, verse 19, it says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Matthew 12, 46 says that while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, there's not a lot filled in here, but what we conclude can conclude is this. First, that Jesus' mother was Mary, and she had children. Now, those who believe that Mary was a virgin perpetually have said that this is translated poorly. It should be translated as cousins. The word could be synonymous. And so this was Jesus' mother Mary and his cousins. Uh, they've also said that perhaps Joseph was married previously to being married to Mary. And so uh, that's how there could be brothers and sisters and, and Mary because it was from Joseph's previous marriage. Or we can avoid adding to the text and accept that Mary had children with Joseph. Later, it says that he, his brothers were James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And as I alluded to, some manuscripts reference sisters. And since Jesus' reply includes sisters, he probably did have sisters. What's notable is the omission of his father, Joseph, leading us to conclude that he has likely passed away at this point. They are standing outside of this house or outside of this circle. They cannot get into the circle, and they want to get Jesus' attention. And so they call out to him, and they tell others to get him. R. Allen Cole says there is a note of subtle rebuke in their desire to reach him. They are concerned about him. We learned about this last week as we were reading through the Gospel of Mark in chapter 3, verse 21. It says, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. As Jesus' crowd uh, began to grow and he began to say some of the things he was saying, the family began to be uncomfortable with Jesus' assertion of his authority, certainly that he is the son of God. You get this, right? With your family, even though you might be proud of them, you would have a really hard time if they began to believe that they are son of God. I mean, even though some Niceville parents think their children are right under that, even if they came to them and said, I'm the son of God, mama would probably be concerned. 
So the crowd tells Jesus, and here's how Jesus replies, verse 33. He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Who are my mother and brothers? Jesus asked. And then he answers, my mother and brother and sisters are those who do the will of God. Luke in his gospel says that Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Eugene Peterson says, with God, obedience is thicker than blood. Christian is our primary identity if we are a believer. Christian is not a demographic description. Christian is not a voting block. Christian is not an adjective. It is an identity. And Jesus is specific, and he says, whoever does the will of God, that is my family. Jesus defines his family God defines his family as those who hear and obey their heavenly father. God defines his family as those who hear and obey their heavenly father. The Israelites took great pride in being a son of Abraham and being a descendant of Abraham. It was very much who they were. We often take great pride in where we come from, in our heritage, and who our parents and our grandparents and perhaps our great-grandparents were, or perhaps in the nation we belong to. And there can be good that comes from our heritage. There are values that we are taught from our parents or our grandparents or from our nation that are great values that help us tremendously in life and, and perhaps are even God-honoring. There are great opportunities that we are often given because of the family we come from or the nation that we live in. So there is good that can come from our ancestry. There is neutral things that come from our heritage. I mean, the type of vacations we prefer are often passed down to us from our parents or our grandparents. Whether or not we consider NASCAR to be a sport, that is often passed down from our family. If we think dogs are superior to cats, oh, I meant to put that in the good thing that's passed down, not the neutral thing that's passed down. But there are also bad things that can be passed down by our family or by our nation or by our heritage. There are prejudices that are often passed down from generation to generation. And there are goals in life that are instilled in us that may not indeed acknowledge or honor God. And what can happen, especially in the context that most of us grew up in, is we can mistakenly believe that we are good with God based on our heritage. 
based on what our family taught us, based on where we were born. And this is true. Whatever side of the debate that is going on in America that you're on, this is true, that we can mistakenly believe that God is on our side simply because we include his name in our conversation and in our argument. But what is happening is God is serving our interest and our identity. As a believer, Christian is our primary identity. Christian is our primary identity. Now, there are some other passages in Scripture that are hard for us to swallow when we have a displaced elevation of earthly family over eternal family. In Matthew chapter 22, when they're debating about divorce, Jesus tells us that we won't be married in heaven. Now, some of you have been hesitant to follow Christ and hearing that you won't be married in heaven. You say, okay, now I'll be a Christian. But for a lot of people, that disrupts what we have always envisioned heaven to be. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells those who would desire to follow him that there would be a reward for leaving their family for him. This is in the context of family who are trying to hinder people from their allegiance to God. And he says, if you put God before your family, there will be reward. And even famously in Luke 14, Jesus says, if you don't hate father or mother or brother, for my sake, you can't be my disciple. Saying, if you cling to these identities, instead of following me as your primary identity, you really can't follow me. Now, we're the church that proclaims family values, that elevates the health of marriage and things like this. So how can Jesus say these things? How can I say these things? And yet also talk about the value that we should place on family. Well, anyone who I have proximity to is a priority. Our church family is not more important than other church families, but it's a greater priority for me. We were just, I was just talking to someone before the eight o'clock service about uh, somebody, people disliking Boggy Talk. And, and I said, I really don't know if it's people from our church or just random people on the internet. And that makes a difference to me. Because one, not that I don't care about them, but I really have no proximity to, and so it's not a priority. And one, I do. My family your family, you have high proximity to your earthly family, so they should be a priority to you. And you might think, well, I, I love them, and, and this seems to say I deprioritize them. Here's what I'm telling you. Identity in Christ means greater value of our family. Identity in Christ means greater value of our family because now we are not loving them, trusting in ourselves and leaning on our own understanding, but we are trusting in the Lord with all our heart. And we're looking to his understanding in how we love our spouse, in how we parent our children. And so it gives us a richer, deeper, truer meaning of what it means to love our family. And if we are trusting God for this, 
then our identity in Christ directs our love for our family. You see, it's not that Jesus doesn't love his family, but his love of family doesn't guide his service to God. His love of God guides his service to his family. Our love of family should not guide our service to God. Our love of God should guide our service to our family. And it looks different based on our needs and our family for each of us. But our relationship with God and their relationship with God is first and foremost if we believe in an eternal God. Identity in Christ means he shapes our family. Identity in Christ means that Christ shapes our family. So is God shaping our family? When we think about our parents and what to carry on and how we should treat them and is it really seen through the filter of Christ? When we think about our marriage and the kind of husbands and the kind of wives we should be, is it seen through the filter of Christ? When we think about our children, is it seen through the filter of Christ? And if it is, then we understand that those who hear and do the will of God are the ones that are part of the family of God and that we cannot assume the gospel. We cannot assume because our family were good people, good citizens, good in their context, that they grasp the gospel. We cannot assume that our children, because they're our children and we're raising them right, understand that they are a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus, even as they can articulate some of the right things. Are we living our lives as a family on mission for Christ? And we say we want God, but are we really hearing and obeying his word? Because of what I've noticed, and you've probably noticed this too, is many people who say they want God's will for their life, and they want God's will for their family, but they never open God's word and hear from him and struggle to obey him. And if you're here and you are saying, I want God's will for my family, and you're not seeking to hear from God and doing your best to obey God, then you are deceived at best and outright deceiving us at worst. If we want God's will for our family, then we are hearing him and we are obeying him in what he says. We're not just using him to get our will for our family. Do we really want his will for our life? Or do we just have these earthly goals for our family that take priority and interfere with us actually hearing and obeying God. Is success God? And God exists to serve 
our success. This is why, look, I'm not gonna tell you how to do it, but when I try to talk to parents who are obsessed with travel sports, they don't even wanna hear me. They don't even wanna hear what the Bible says often. Whenever people are living a life of comfort and fun and their ultimate joy and their ultimate comfort and satisfaction isn't in Christ, perhaps our primary identity is not Christ. Because as a believer, Christian is our primary identity. The prophet Zechariah declared the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel when they had been through generations of turning from God. And here is what he said in verse four and five of chapter one. We looked at this last year as we went through the minor prophets as a church family. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? In this passage, God says, do not be like your fathers. Do not be like your ancestors. Now, why does he say that here in this passage? Because they were not repentant. And they did not hear or pay attention to me. And that's what they've passed down. Don't be like that. And he says, where are they? Do they live forever? Do even the prophets who misrepresented God, do they live forever? When I started, when I started to become a Christian and really felt like I might be called to ministry, uh, at the time I, I would work out in high school when I was a teenager, and um, this is foreign to our students, but we had to listen to the radio and so you couldn't just like listen to whatever songs you want to listen. We didn't have Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora. That wasn't a thing. Like the old stuff wasn't even. I mean, Napster was coming around and you could like illegally download stuff. Not that I ever did that. Okay, I did that. I can't lie. <laughs> so often there would be nothing really good on the radio. And I somehow ended up listening to one of the only clear stations that came through. It was this preacher. And he was a gifted preacher. He had this great voice. His name was Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers is one of the most famous Baptist pastors, one of the most famous pastors who's ever lived, had a great ministry. He has a whole channel devoted to hearing his sermons that are even in existence today. And a couple months ago, I was referencing Adrian Rogers in our staff meeting, and our 24-year-old student minister and children's minister had no idea who I was talking about. Many of our young people, when you say the, the name Billy Graham, do not know who you're talking about. Now, for some of you, that isn't that blasphemy? He's he the fourth part of the Trinity? <laughs> Listen, we need to do our part to carry the legacy of great men and great women and what they stood for at great institutions and great ideas, but do not be mistaken. All other identities fade away, and identity in Christ does not. All institutions, most churches don't live as long as this nation. 
they fade away. And an identity in Christ does not. And we get caught up in debates and we get caught up in temporary issues and at the risk of sounding cliche, none of this saves us. Grandma and her faith doesn't save us. Our children, us raising great children, will not save us. Being American doesn't save us. Our race, whether it's white or black or anything else, doesn't save us. Our religion doesn't save us. There is only one thing that can save you, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, our primary identity is in that. And this is why we hear the word of God and we do it. Not because hearing the word of God and doing it saves us, but because Jesus has saved us. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I want to read verse 21 again, but I want to insert some things. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through my family heritage, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through how well I do in parenting, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through being an American, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through correctly deconstructing everything, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through my race, then Christ died for no purpose. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through my religion, then Christ died for, new, no, for no purpose. If any law, any way of living, any identity is what saves us other than Christ, then Christ died for no purpose. But Christ died for a purpose. And that purpose was that flawed Human beings created in his image can be reconciled to him and have eternal life in him. And to be a Christian is to say, I don't know everything about everything, but what I know above all things is the gospel has changed my life. And it is my primary identity, and it is the lens through which I see my family, and it is the lens through which I see my city, it is the lens through which I see my state, my nation, my world. Every role I fill is through that primary identity. In Christ Jesus.
For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what I live for. So we as a church, we gather together to remember that. And when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, they had what we call the Last Supper. And he asked his disciples to observe this Last Supper in remembrance of him. And so we now, for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, are going to take communion together. And what you need to understand is that the church of Jesus Christ is very diverse. It's global. There's different backgrounds, different mindsets, different theological beliefs. But what we have in common is the grace of Christ, is the reason for why we live. And even in this room, while we are one local church and we are not as diverse as the global church of Jesus Christ, even today, on the issues I've talked about, on other issues, we come with a lot of different ways of thinking. But this reminds us what is primary. And so if you would peel the top layer of the cup you were given and take out what symbolizes the bread. In just a moment, we're going to eat this. When Jesus was with his disciples at that last supper, they passed the bread. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me because it is my body given for you. Eat the bread. Maybe if you would peel off the layer of the cup. We drink this because when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper. They passed the cup. And he asked them to drink of the cup in remembrance of his blood, which is shed for them. Pray with me. God, I come to you very aware and very grateful for the freedom I have to declare your word, the freedom we have to gather together and worship freely. That's a freedom we have because there are people who have sacrificed everything for this idea that we should have this kind of freedom. And God, that freedom has led over the years to prosperity. That freedom has led to opportunity. 
And while this hasn't always been this, the case, that freedom continually has led to freedom and opportunity for all. And even though we can look at this one nation in this one period of history and see many flaws, many errors, God, we see how you have strengthened and advanced your church. How your mission has been strengthened through the believers out of abundance, out of sacrifice, out of generosity, have, have taken the gospel to the world. And so, Lord, right now in this moment, I'm committed more than ever that my freedom will not be an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, I will serve people. In my home, in this church, and together we will say, Lord, how can we be people who spread the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible? Lord, I pray for protection. And I pray that as your church has freedom and your church has privilege and your church is blessed, that we pour that out to be a blessing to others for your name's sake. God, help us to remember our primary identity is people who were dead that have been made alive in Christ Jesus and help us to live for that above all. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name.